You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everyone. Hope you're doing okay. Strange how it feels like 2020 again when we're in 2022. And for that reason, we're throwing back to some of our favorite episodes of My First Show, which premiered at the start of the pandemic in the summer of 2020. We originally released this episode on August 25th, 2020, my interview with Uzo Aduba, the Emmy Award-winning star of Orange is the New Black and In Treatment, and currently starring in my favorite play of the season, Clyde's, which runs through January 16th in person and also has live stream performances that you can watch from home. I loved Clyde's, it made me laugh, it made me feel, it made me angry, it made me sad, it made me joyful made me what all theater should make me do. It made me respond to something. Enjoy our conversation. Try and enjoy this moment and try and respond to something. It's all we can do. Hello, and welcome to my first show. Today's guest is someone I've admired and watched on screen, watched on stage, watched in my dreams to maybe be my friend one day because she's really cool. (laughs) (laughs) And that's Uzo Aduba. It's so nice to meet you. You as well. (laughs) What do I say after that? (laughs) You know, it's the kind of thing where like you just, you, you, maybe you feel this way too, but when you watch people on television um, and you get to know them and then you watch them in interviews, you sort of think like, oh, we'd be friends. We would totally <laughs> yes, be friends. Yes, yes. <laughs> I said that about Beyonce. <laughs> I have felt that way about Barack Obama my entire life. I was like, yeah. we, we would be friends. I'm really, yeah. we have the same humor, um, but I feel that way about you. So I'm really excited to talk with you today. Um, Thank you. <laughs> And I'm going to ask you a question that we ask everyone in these times, uh, which is, how are you doing? I am doing is what I answer (laughs) in in these times, because I think that's that's as much as all we can do. You know, Um, I am, I am, some days it's, it's, it's a wave, you know, Um, some days I can stand on the surfboard 
do every trick, catch every wave. Sometimes I keep getting, I'll get knocked down every time, depending on what's happening out in the world at the, at the any given moment. Um, but I'm doing, you know, um, I am fortunate and um, I have been able to uh, sit down and be in ho- at home because I, I take this very seriously um, for, for, you know, both myself and for my neighbors. And um, I think, I think I had a time where it was like, you know, lockdown, like, okay, we're all in the beginning, you know, like this is so new. And then it's like, we're still locked down, you know, (laughs) and then now have sort of adjusted and found um, a rhythm to life in this new normal um, that has brought some, um, some, I guess, a joy back into it. Good, good. I think it is pretty vital that we find that joy however we can. Um, Otherwise, oof. Heavy. Oof. Um, and you're in LA, in New York. I'm in, in New Boston? York. New York. Okay. I've been right. doing quarantine in New York. Excellent. Excellent. Um, I um, I know that New York has found its um, its its light in a way amidst the rest mm-hmm. of the country, and that's something to be really proud of. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I think that's like reflective also of like the feeling of a lot of New York is what I was saying for myself. You know, it started off so intensely here because at one point, you know, in the very beginning we were the epicenter and, you know, um, we had a very real experience with it as far as, you know, the first thing I remember about it was the constant drone of ambulances all the time. Um, And the lines um, out of the hospital and, you know, the refrigerator trucks, all of these things um, were very real for us. And as our numbers have come down, as we New Yorkers often do, um, we've come together and uh, united towards a common purpose, a common goal. We've watched those things slowly and surely um, reduce, watch our numbers reduce, watch the everyday uh, traumas reduce. Um, and, uh, we, you know, we live in a city where we, we just have to take care of each other. You yeah. know, I, I didn't realize how neighborly New York was until we were in this, uh, pandemic. For some reason this morning in the shower where I have all my brilliant thoughts, I actually thought about <laughs> what is a positivity from all this. And that was something that struck me as well was our care for each other. Mm-hmm. That is yeah. abundant and clear now in a way where I don't know if it always was. Yeah, I don't. I never thought of New York as a New York City as a small town, and yet it has a lot of small town sensibilities. At least in this moment, you know, of really looking after each other um, and doing what we got to do, and taking care of each other um, in a way that's just, you know, as early as this morning, you know, I just was out walking my dog and stood in this line for this little bitty coffee shop that is open you know just through the front of their door and uh the guy who was standing at the counter didn't have uh any change on him enough change for a dog treat and the owner just gave one out you know what I mean it's just I uh, just gave one to him anyway and I just thought you know that's such a I grew up in a small town and that's something that would happen in my hometown um but here we are in New York displaying our very best of ourselves I love that 
I really do. Um, I love a lot of things um, you've been doing lately, I, I must say. And, and, you know, I hope you're finding the joy of your success in all this. I know, I know probably as a very deep human, you, you recognize the pain, but, you know, you had this groundbreaking performance of Shirley Chisholm in what I think was a monumental series of Mrs. America. And mm-hmm. I have to believe that that performance is taking on some renewed meaning now that Kamala Harris will be the first black woman on a presidential ticket. I just, for someone who studied and lived within Shirley for so long, what does it feel like? It feels, um, it feels incredible. It feels like um, a dream answered it. You know, she, she famously had said she wanted to create space for not just herself, but for all women. And um, that she wanted to carve out seats at the table. And um, I think, you know, like there's that hashtag because of you, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and because of her, there is a, there gets to be a Kamala Harris. There gets to be all of the women. There gets to be an Elizabeth Warren. There gets to be, you know, all of these women in this penultimate top note moment, Kamala gets to have that moment and, and, and answer um, a dream of Congresswoman Chisholm's in such a bright and loud and spacious way that I think is important. And, and she has now answered the call that uh, Shirley Chisholm was given, you know, some 50 plus years ago. She is now going to be to this next generation of women and women who stand beside her as well yeah. to, to, have, to have and hold space. Um, so it's really exciting to see it, you know, especially we're telling the story at a time where she, you know, Shirley Trism was a trailblazer. She was the first one to do it. Yeah. And what that feels like to be the first, um, it, it, it's, it's not a light thing to ca- that you carry when you do it, to be the first of anything, of anything. It's not easy. And um, it's just really wonderful to see what that effort and what that flag planting has now produced um, and will continue to produce. What, what was it like to research and prepare for the role? What, what did you learn about yourself in, in the process? Oh, my gosh. Um, to prepare for the role, I was like, I didn't realize how I knew a, a bit about Shirley Chisholm. I knew that she was I knew everything about her as far as being the first. But I didn't know much about her policies, which was exciting to see how much of her policy positions are were like major points um, throughout this 2020 primary, especially for most candidates. And then I also didn't know how much her campaign leaned into the conversation of hope and possibility. Mm. And she spoke all the time about possibility. What, what was possible for people if they stopped beyond limitation, limitations. And um, I thought, I think that resonated so strongly for her because you have to remember, you know, this is a woman who's running at a time where she's standing in the shadow of the 
Civil Rights Voting Act, the assassination of Martin Luther King, mm. um, segregation, Jim Crow, you know, all of these things, and is elected as the first black woman to Congress uh, in 1968, is running for president in 1972, right? Yeah. And she is talking about these things about possibility. And so it's clear that the definition she held for herself was wholly different than the definitions people had for her. And I think that was what I was reminded of for myself because I've, I know what that feels like to have people have a definition mm -hmm. of what is possible for you and what you know is possible for yourself and to not subscribe to that limited view. And I think being in her space, wearing her shoes, it just reminded me to hold firm to my ideas and beliefs. That's, that's really beautiful to hear and quite inspiring. And I think actually maybe... This is a great segue to the first question that we love to ask our guests, which is, what was the first show you saw? And perhaps, what did it mean to you? Uh, theater show. What was theater the show. First, <laughs> the first theater show you ever saw, and, and what did it mean to you? The first theater show, I can, well, I remember seeing, well, there's, I, I want to say like almost two, because it's like the first theater show I ever saw was in second grade, was Mr. Popper's Penguins. Oh. At the Wheelock Primary Theater. <laughs> that was like, that was the first show I ever saw that I can remember seeing, but I don't really remember much about it because what I remember was, well, what I remember is we had read the book in class mm -hmm. and now we were seeing the show. And I just remember a lot of penguins. <laughs> uh, people dressed as penguins. That's the second thing. Which is both horrifying um, and funny. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And but then the the show that had the biggest impact on me that I re really remember was um my school again we went to go see a Christmas carol at the North Shore um Playhouse North Shore Theater and uh, Music Theater mm -hmm. and um I, what I remember <laughs> was everybody, all the kids kept talking a lot. And I would, and you know, you don't want to like stand out, but so you want to like a little bit fit in. You're like, ha it's so weird. But I also was like, shh, I want to like hear what's going on because I'm actually really fascinated with what's going on. And I remember there was all this pyro when Jacob Marley came out. And I remember the guy who was playing Jacob Marley, he either had like green, like green light on him coming from, the lights were coming from the ground. There was a lot of pyro, a lot of like, steam um uh, fog i dry ice you know um and he was do, like leaning back a lot and he had chains on his arm and he was like screw and it was so <laughs> intense and i remember being like wow this is great and i i remember like because he appeared out of nowhere and it was the first time I'd ever seen theater magic before. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. And I just wanted every, all the kids around me to stop talking. Like, you guys not see this? <laughs> the guy came out of nowhere, you know? Like. 
<laughs> yeah, it, it actually like it it, it 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 actually makes you believe in magic, like as though magic yes. is real when you see it work like that, right? Yes, absolutely. I was like, he wasn't there, and then he disappeared after he was like, you'll be visited by three ghosts, like you know that whole section, and then like was gone, and it was like electric, and it was like it, it popped. I just remember right. being immediately captured like wow. that was crazy wow wow what was the first theater show you were in the first <laughs> you know it's so funny I was just I just <laughs> commented on Mindy Kaling's <laughs> post the other day on IG about this the first show I ever was in was in my preschool daycare <laughs> um a production of Caps for Sale. And I commented because she had just put this funny post up that was like, not to brag, it's her reading like all these children's books. And she's like, not to brag, but I just completed like my 10th, uh, I completed my goal of reading 10, 10 books this lockdown during quarantine or whatever. And one of the books on the stack was, you know, she had like Curious George, all these books, whatever. And one of the books was Caps for Sale. And I wrote on, on our comments, I was like, not to brag, but Caps for Sale was my theatrical debut. <laughs> I, I don't know Caps for Sale. Will you give us just a quick rundown? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm like four or five years old. All I remember is it was a book about a man who sold hats and he had like a stack on his head, like 50 caps all stacked on top of one another. And like, he's selling them about town, I want to say. And they keep disappearing because it's like monkeys are like taking the caps. And then like at the end of the book, it's like, ha 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 ha. All these monkeys are in the tree wearing hats. You know what I mean? And it's like, we were like in the tree, like a bunch of kids are like playing hats and a bunch of kids are playing monkeys, a bunch of kids or no. Yeah. And then there's like the one person who's the caps for sales salesman. That is my, I've not read that book since that age. I have no (laughs) idea if that's just, those were just the parts that I liked, but that was essentially the book. And hats and caps and monkeys that's it so at first I thought you said cats for sale (laughs) and so because I'm a musical theater nerd I went to oh it's a parody of the cats musical but they're Ah. all getting sold (laughs) no 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 caps like hats (laughs) no caps yeah it was yeah it was yeah all caps no, I got it now, sadly, but I, I still wish it was. Could you imagine? Me, so. <laughs> you know, it it's was a young Jellico <laughs> <laughs> who got brought down to the dock for, yeah, exactly. for, 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 for the selling. Uh, it's like, yeah, exactly. it's like a mixture of Les Mis and cats. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. A fontine. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. See, my, she's cutting her hair. It's her fur. That's what exactly. <laughs> it's my goal that this show inspires theater making. Actually, like I want, like as we get into dream roles and things like that, I want you know five years from now for that to then happen and someone harken back to that episode of my first show. So my dream is that Andrew Lloyd <laughs> Webber hears us or Cameron McIntosh and is like, you know what, we need to mix <laughs> up. <laughs> I mean, just to say, I feel like we may have already written it. <laughs> I I feel like all we really need to go out and figure out is how to workshop it. Right. Right. Over, over Zoom. 
Yeah, exactly. I think we need just need a 29-hour reading of the production, and we're kind of sick. We, cer- we certainly have that one. Amazing. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. We're shopping Amazing. Too. We'll go up to Vassar next year. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what what was your first professional theater show then? And this could be My, anything. Like this can be you were on a crew or an usher or, you know, summer stock, but you got paid. It, or it could be Broadway, but, you know, anything. But I got paid for it. Yes, professional. Professional. The first job I ever got paid for was this – um, like this theater, the school theater play um, called Roots of Roots of Rap, semicolon, or semicolon, uh, poetry, mm-hmm. and it was connected. We would go to these school functions, um, and <clears throat> basically, it was actually kind of cool, and kids loved it. It was like we'd go and would like sing or do some raps that kids were familiar with and then loop it all, connect it all back to like all of these poems and uh, poets who were phenomenal. Langston Hughes, Nikki Giovanni. Um, I, we, I wear the mask, you know, ego tripping all these pieces of poetry, mm. um, beat poetry so that kids could understand that, the understand, I guess, the etymology of like hip hop, rap, and what its purpose began as, and where it extended from, its roots extended to. Um, where was, was this? First, we, I did it here in New York. It was here in New York. Um, oh gosh, the name of the theater company is escaping me right now. But um, we would go to schools. It would be like you know, they would come and gather at various auditoriums and spaces and various schools would come in and we would do these pieces and the kids would love it. And I think they, I think what I remember what the thing was that felt like they loved most. It's like we were connecting to something that was theirs Mm -hmm. and not talking at them about it. It was just, um, it wasn't, you know, hip hop that necessarily our parents listened to. It was like, what do y'all listen to? And what we want to, give you that connection back to um, all this stuff that came out of the 1920s, 30s. So were you a um, working actor in New York when you got this first gig? No, I, w- I mean, I was working. I was. Do- I had done other shows before I had done an equity show. Ca- I mean, I guess this would be the first time I ever got paid, but not weekly. I just got an equity a stipend, you know? Mm-hmm. I wasn't equity myself, but I got a stipend for a musical that I did down at the Greenwich Street Theater called... Um, Love According to Luke, just before that. Mm-hmm. And when I was doing that, along with another show I had done before it, <clears throat> I had, um, because I wasn't really making any money, um, this show I did a showcase for, I, I made $75. So obviously you can't live on that. And so I was I was still waiting tables. Mm-hmm. And um, when I got Roots of Rap, poetry <laughs> colon poetry um that was the f- that was the first job that I was making not a t- uh, making money a weekly salary but it, not a lot of money but it was enough money that I didn't have to wait tables anymore and um I never looked back after that that's that's amazing this episode is brought to you by Shopify 
Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And so, what? how many years had you been in New York when you got that first job? When I got that first job, I had been in New York probably maybe a year or two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd been in New York probably let's say two let's say two years at that point. That wasn't the epic theater ensemble by chance, was it? That sounds kind of <laughs> Familiar. <laughs> that actually does sound familiar. I think that might actually have been its name. Because I I went to a rap based student um, performance at a middle school in Midtown once, and this all feels very familiar. <laughs> You're like, I'm very deja vuing. <laughs> well, that's that's kind of amazing. So, I mean, you were you were then on a path to be like, I can keep doing this, I can make money, or were you deflated that it was not, you know, in a in a theater with um with you know with with the lights on, like at you know at eight o'clock on a Saturday, or you know what? How did that experience keep you going and and sort of push you forward? Oh, I felt so excited. I, when I got that job, I was very proud of it. I was very excited about it. Um, I felt so proud that I was like, wow, they're going to pay me. I think it was like like $239 a week before taxes to do this, you know, to do this job. I thought that was phenomenal. And it was, you know, I mean, and it, it kept my lights on. Yeah. It kept me fed. It kept me on the subway. You know what I mean? It was, a, it meant a lot to me. I was very proud of that job. And I got to do what I came to New York to do, which is be an artist. Yeah. I was even more thrilled and excited that I was able to speak to young people, particularly. I remember a lot of the schools who were coming in were um, more disadvantaged schools, inner city schools mm-hmm. who didn't have a lot of resources and exposure to the arts. And so I was especially glad that kids who maybe weren't able to have the experience of going to see whatever Broadway show um, this city offers, just because they simply didn't have the money, were getting to have some experience and exposure to the arts. Um, yeah, I, and, and, and you know, and kind of like what I was just talking about, you know, the show that I got to see as a kid, you know, it was my first time and it blew my mind, the idea that right. who knows out there whose mind is being blown by seeing us up here. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. 
And did that lead to Corn Boy and to Godspell? Like, do you, did did each sort of experience beget the next in a way? Kind of, yeah. Like, I then I first I went from that, and then I went into my first Equity show, which led to um, which was out of uh, which was in Pennsylvania. Then, which led to me full circle moment getting my next job, which was at. Uh, North Shore Music mm-hmm. Theater, okay. where I where I first saw um, <laughs> uh, Scrooge. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a job with the same theater company and was stoked for that for that reason, um, which then led to working at my first off Broadway job with New York Theater Workshop, mm-hmm. um, and then so on and so forth after that. Amazing, amazing. I, I had the pleasure of, of speaking to a, a former director of yours, Danny Goldstein, uh, from yeah. your production of Godspell. And um, besides besides saying how brilliant and decent and humble and smart you are, um, he also told me about the Godspell Project Runway episode that you did together. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> can, can you explain, please? Yes. Okay. So I was a huge fan of Project Runway to begin with. And um, so let's start like full disclosure. Um, and they were doing an episode, Project Runway All-Stars, I believe it was. Uh, was doing an episode uh, where they were getting to design, um, like it was like, maybe the challenge was like theatrical, something like this. Mm-hmm. And then getting to design something for um, a production of Godspell, and, and which was the show we were doing, uh, Danny and I, on Broadway at the time. And yeah, I got to be a guest judge. <laughs> Go ahead, YouTube, have a field day. I got, to be, <laughs> I got to be a guest judge on the show, um, which was so cool and exciting at the time. Um, I couldn't believe it because I was, I was excited because I, I mean, I, first of all, I loved the show and watched the show, right. you know? Um, and I was, it was also like, I know, I don't think at that point they had ever even married Broadway and project. I think that was the first, if they've That's ever had cool. any after the first Broadway challenge that they had ever had. Yeah. And I was just so excited. I was over the moon. I've since seen, like, I have a picture from that, um, being in the hair and makeup chair and the makeup artist, you know, putting makeup on me. And we were in, um, we were in the dressing room for Godspell. It was just so great. So cool. (laughs) Um, and the costume they made was great too. And it was in the show. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's cool. And you met Heidi Klum and Tim Gunn, I'm guessing. I mean... (laughs) It was a win all around. It is. It <laughs> is. It is. Oh, that's so funny. And um, and and at that moment, I mean, that's that's still early in your career, right? That you're having this sort of like out of body, very surprising television moment. Did you did you think a lot about the medium of television and how that was a, a direct path for you and something you were itching to do and and destined to do? I hadn't thought of it in that capacity. I had, I had thought of it um, before that time, um, and then very quickly um, pushed it out of my mind. I hadn't thought of it because as something that was necessarily for me, because I didn't see 
many examples of it in there for me. Um, I didn't see examples of myself in film and television. And so I didn't think there was going to be space for me. So I kind of dampened those feelings down, stamped them down in myself. And then um, my manager who came to see Godspell um, and saw me on the show and who I started working with, she was who really um, inspired me to pull those feelings back up because Mm -hmm. she and I were talking and she asked me if I'd ever thought about doing film and television before and she was from LA so I thought oh this woman's from Hollywood (laughs) no she knows what she's talking about I guess Mm -hmm. she would know better than anybody she said to me have I ever given a thought to doing film and television and I said no and she said I think you should think about it I think you I think you might have a a real life in that and um, that was the first time I really let those feelings in for real for real Um, And going back to your first question, um, it reminded me to just hold on to the truth of my own possibility, you know, Um, just just to not let the definition, you know, um, the definitions that people have for you versus the definitions and ideas you have for yourself to really hold on to those things and not stamp them down, not, not cheapen them because of another person's view. That's interesting because you are one of the few people, I think one of two in history mm-hmm. to win an Emmy in two different categories, but for the same role in the same show, the comedy and drama categories. And mm-hmm. I was thinking about that and I've been, I was thinking about your role of of Crazy Eyes Suzanne and Orange Is the New Black, and I was thinking about how historic that is, but also how adept you are as an actor at both comedy and drama, which are opposing genres in theory, but actually are much more connected than we all realize. And I, I'm just curious, what do you enjoy more, comedy or drama? Neither, to be honest. I don't, enjoy, I don't enjoy either one more than the other. And I mean that seriously, because as soon as I start doing a bunch of comedies, I'm like, I want to do drama. As soon as I do a bunch of dramas, I'm like, I want to do comedy. <laughs> and they both satisfy two different sides of who I am, I guess, um, that I want to do them both as often uh, as possible. I don't have, I don't, and I know that sounds probably like a little dodgy of the question but i i um, i genuinely enjoy doing doing both for totally different reasons which are i enjoy comedy for its release mm-hmm. the absurdity like i like fitting and trying to think of, okay, how is this supposed to be funny? And what is the craziest way I could make it funny? You know, this is how it's supposed to read. And um, let's let's find another way that, how far can I push this? And it still be funny. Um, 
I also like, I'll, I'll also say this, um, because it makes me actually think of the first TV job, right the week before I started on Orange, I had shot a small part on it, the show um, called Blue Bloods. And I had a line in, the, in my sides for the audition that was actually supposed to be said very seriously. But I also like playing with language that's supposed to be serious and making it funny. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And so that that's what I like about comedy. This line is supposed to be really serious, but actually, is it possible we can just make it funny? Yeah. Yep. You know what I mean? I do. I really do. You know, um, I, I like doing that. And then, uh, and it makes me even think of when I went, um, I saw um, the production of Hamlet, the most recent production of Hamlet at the public um, with um, Keegan-Michael Key. Mm-hmm. He was the Horatio. And I remember that that's what I think is so beautiful. Like he had a line. I'm trying, I can remember what the line is. It's right after this. It's like right in the beginning of act one, scene one. Uh, I think even on his exit. And it's normally traditionally done dramatically. And I remember he made it funny. And I was like, that's, that's brilliant. He was brilliant in it too. And I was like, this is what makes this genius right here because you can play with it. Um, and then for the drama side, um, I love, oh, what do I love? I love the feeling of trying to shoot an arrow through a needle. Mm. Just that accuracy. Um, and I guess that also lives in comedy too, because comedy I often think of as math. Right. Um, timing. It's timing, but there's something about like, the way, the way you have to throw your hand to really hit that target and make it, make the point really land and vibrate through your bones. That's what feels, and it's, when it's cooking, when it's, when it's, when it's simmering is what feels the nicest about drama, you know? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, the best films and television shows in history have equal parts both and use Mm -hmm. them as superpowers in their storytelling when it's best for humor to be revealed there's a crazy you know punchline and when it's best for the dramatic emotional arc to be revealed it's silence and power and you know I think Orange is the New Black just really did that so well all those seasons, um, which is why I think that show was so groundbreaking and, and your performance was so brilliant. So, um, yeah, comedy and drama. It's why there's two masks sitting right. sitting on my childhood bedroom wall. Ah, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's so powerful. And I have to say also, like, it's hard for me to pick the two because both of them feel like flying. And that's what I love, you know, I, I can't, they both feel like flying, like just a freedom, different ways of expressing it. But I love that feeling. I, I went skydiving a couple of years ago, which I was terrified to do because I had horrible fear of heights. <laughs> Me too. I thought I was going to want, I was like, I'm going to die. Tell my mother I love her. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, it was like tell, you know, like yeah. all of it. And I jumped out of that plane and it's the closest thing I have ever felt to making art. Mm-hmm. Wow. That freedom outside of also wanting to jump out of the plane and be like, it's me. 
like, <laughs> I feel like I'm having my like <laughs> alphabet moment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's utter loss of control. I imagine I've never jumped out of a plane, but I imagine that's the most loss of control, you know, magical yes. moment. Yes, it was everything. Okay, dream time. If you could be in any show, anywhere, at any time, what would it be? One, it hasn't happened. But two, if I was held to the ground, <laughs> like ants are going to be poured on my body, <laughs> have to pick, I would want to be in whatever production Rex Harrison is in of My Fair Lady. Oh, the first, I guess. Yeah. 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 Love that show. Yeah. Oh, with that sexy British accent. Yes. The originator of the, like, patter song. Never could sing. The guy could No, I don't, not a note, but I, but, 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 but somehow we fell in love with the voice anyway. Yeah. Well, and then isn't, isn't that, I always still thought like, I mean, I was just having this conversation some weeks ago is what my family loves that movie and iconic and you love his voice and just like, what is singing is begs the question because I love what he's doing. Yeah. So it's like, right. and I couldn't not hear it done that way, you know? So is, is is that not expression through song? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so, so great. Love, loved it. Loved it. A lot of men have got over history, have gotten away with the, the toxing as sufficient. Yes. <laughs> as sufficient. Exactly. Absolutely. It's sort of infuriating. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Well, it's like landing in the zone. Like, well, I mean, and it's emblematic. Let's just be clear. So it's like landing somewhere in the zone of what the tune is supposed to sound like, and we'll take it from here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I I'm excited about your Eliza Doolittle. So let's do this. Uh, <laughs> too bad Rex is gone, but there's yeah. there's other Rexes out there. What, where, what other show would I, you know, work on at any time, place? Another, I mean, like, I'll be the usher at the original Dreamgirls. You know what I mean? Like, I will be seating people just to see that show go off every night. See Jennifer Holiday, Charlie Ralph, you know, um, uh, uh, Oba Baba Tunde, the, the list goes on, Loretta Divine, you know, uh, original choreographer, all of it. I see all of that. Yeah, magical, for sure. What a moment, too. Um, that's, that's, that's perfect. That's perfect. Well, we, we, um, we aim to make dreams come true, so. <laughs> Do you have a time? I don't have a time. <laughs> my, my next comment was, so I think <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll go to sleep tonight you know? and we'll dream and we'll dream the reality of that happening <laughs> for you. I thought you were going to be like, if you look out your window, <laughs> we have a DeLorean. That we have. <laughs> um, it's, um, it's the final section of the show that we do not tell our guests about. So you don't know okay. what I'm about to say and ask unless you're a big fan and you listen every week and then maybe you know um and this is a lightning round where uh, i put 30 seconds on the clock and i list off 
classic American plays and musicals, and you give me the emotional theme that you think is in that musical, and we see how matched up we are. And it's like one word, two words, three words, so, you know, nothing nothing lengthy, just what comes to mind that you think that musical is about. Got it. Okay. 30 seconds around the clock, and we're going to go. My Fair Lady. Transformation. Cinderella. Happily Ever After. Evita. Power of Women. Funny Girl. Power of Women. Godspell. Joy Personified. Ragtime. American Dream. Gypsy. Ooh. Ambition is good. Yes. And I agree with that. (laughs) I agree with that final sentiment. Ambition is good. Ambition Mm -hmm. is good. Um, Mm -hmm. God, I love that musical so much. It's, it's actually my favorite. I think of all time I could sing the entire score and I'm not sure I've ever thought specifically those three words as a theme. Ambition is good, but look what it produced, what she was able to produce. And had she been any, had she been a man, would we have questioned it? Mm -hmm. You know, um, and you know, you just even, obviously we know everything's coming up roses, you know, but, um, she starts the song saying, I had a dream. That's all it was. Yeah. She went after her dream. Yeah. Yeah. And I think. What's so wrong with that? Agreed. And I think a reminder of ambition is good, is good, even in these times. Um, because we're going to come out of it and we need to stay ambitious and focused. And that's how we'll find out what's good. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Love that show. Love that show. One of the reasons I miss Marie's Crisis the most is singing that score around that piano in Mm. the village. It's a timeless show. That's a. I mean, you know, sometimes there's just some shows that just can live forever. That's a show will live forever. I agree. The book is excellent. Score is excellent. Perform. You know, there's just so much to be done in it. Yeah. Such a great show. I agree. I agree. Um, well, I had a dream and in it, uh, Uzo Aduba was the usher of dream girls. Thank you for joining us today and thank you for doing all you do on the screen and hopefully you'll come back to the stage soon and do it again there. Um, yes, you are, you are a genius and I, and I honor your art. So thank you. Thank you. Thank I you, had a dream, a dream about you, baby. It's gonna come true, baby. They think that we're through, but My First Show is produced by Josh Altman, MEP, Dory Berenstein, and Alan Seals, and is part of the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode was edited by Derek Gunther. 
special thanks to Leslie Papa and Whitney Holden-Gore at Vivacity Media Group. For more info about the podcast, visit bpn.fm backslash myfirstshow. Follow me on Instagram at Eva R. Price. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.